Today's episode of the BS Podcast brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. It's October. Still, baseball, hockey, basketball, NFL, college football. You need SeatGeek. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Buy tickets, enter stadiums on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring last night's Keeping It 1600 live podcast that we had here in LA. SeatGeek and Stitcher were the sponsors. And you can listen to that podcast today, Friday, exclusively on Stitcher. And then it becomes available on the Keeping Keeping It 1600 feed. We're also brought to you by Sling TV. It's the best way to watch live TV on your turf. With Sling Orange service, pay just $20 a month. Get ESPN, ESPN2, and more top channels. Plus, add the Sports Extra for just $5 to watch SEC Network and more football. Start watching for seven days free. Sling.com slash Bill Simmons. Get Sling TV on your favorite device. Restrictions apply. Don't forget about any given Wednesday. We had Wayne Gretzky, Bill Burr, and Larry Wilmore this week. It was a good one. Unfortunately, it was going against Game 2 of the World Series and 14 NBA games. But the good thing is there's re-airs, and it's on HBO On Demand. And HBO Go, you can still watch it. It was a good one, and, and I really enjoyed the great one. He Once he started getting a kick out of uh, Bill Burr, it was like he loosened up. I felt like I was in the locker room with him. Don't forget about our other eight podcast feeds on The Ringer, and don't forget to check out theringer.com. Because I wrote an NBA column this week. We put it up on Tuesday. It's about LeBron James and the Red Hot NBA. Okay, so we have Mike Lombardi coming up. We have Joe House and from the ringer, Robert Mays. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, it's time for the hardest working man in show business. The one and only Mike Lombardi. You're mad at me. What did I do? I, I listen to the Sal podcast, love it. Every Monday I take the dogs for the walk and I listen to you and I got so upset with you because you sat there and you handicapped the Denver-Houston game perfectly. And then, you know, for a man that reads Malcolm Gladwell and is friends with Malcolm Gladwell, you violate every pretense of blink. You went ahead and went again. You thought it through. I'm not going to do it, you know. And then you went against Denver. Like, it made no sense at all. And if you're wondering why you're having gambling issues, it's because you're not reading Gladwell's book, Blink. You need to trust your instincts. I know. I, uh, I I was, for some reason, scared to lay that many points with that weird Denver offense. And I just talked myself into the AFC South is terrible. Anybody can win. I'll just grab the points. And I regretted it as the week went on. And Blake did what Blake does. He He got a lot of cheap yardage in the second half. I don't. So Gus Bradley's had Blake Bortles and Blaine Gabbert basically as as his two saviors at quarterback. Do we, how do we even know if he's a good coach? Are there other signs that he might not be a good coach? Well, the the one sign is you have to look for is he's a defensive specialist, and they've collected a bunch of talent on defense. Malik Jackson, Jared Aldrich, you know, they drafted guys in the first round, Fowler, Ramsey, and the defense doesn't play well. Now, there was a stretch where the defense was playing good. Yeah. And last night was not typical of how they played defense in the past, uh, whether it was a short week. Or, or not, I don't know, but that's how you judge him as a head coach. And I think, really, he's tolerating this offense, which is really not very good. Bortles, we know, has four touchdown passes in the first quarter. Yeah. That's not just all on Blake Bortles. That's part of a scheme. Sometimes, if you're a good coach, you can manufacture your way into points on the first drive, kind of be 
you know, deceptive and creative. And, and Jacksonville doesn't fall, fall in any of those areas. So do you think he's coaching the team next week? Well, according to Shot Khan, he told the Florida Times Union that, that he's his coach. So okay. I think what happens is if you get rid of him, you open up a whole other set of situations where people will ask the questions that you and I are asking. Are they really this talented? Do they really have this much ability? When you keep them there, you keep perpetuating the lie that Jacksonville tells to yourself. If you would have a conversation with Jacksonville during the trading time, you would think they were the Super Bowl champions four times over. Right. Like They have this perception of themselves that's far different than what the NFL sees them. So we have four terrible teams, the Browns, the 49ers, the Bears, and I'm putting the Jaguars in there after what happened these last two games. Would you put the Jets in there, or are they like just a hair above those four? I think the Jets' problem really comes down to their their secondary is not very good. They paid a lot of money for their corners. They can't play man-to-man. I think Revis has slipped dramatically on them. Buster Screen hasn't played very well. They can't cover. Their front's very good, but they let the team get old. They've had... They've had a situation where, you know, they just really haven't been able to fill the corner situation. So people throw the ball on them. I mean, they're not, you can't run it on them. So they're the, one of the worst teams in the league on first down where you can throw the football and gain yards. And then offensively, you know, when you don't solve the quarterback problem, yeah, it makes the rest of your team not look very good. And you carry four quarterbacks like they're doing, that tells you you don't have a quarterback. And you know what's going to happen in, as you enter 2017? You still don't have a quarterback. Right. Would you put the so you'd put the Jets in there? It sounds like. Would you put the Saints in there? No, because the Saints can score points. The Saints and the Falcons. The difference between those two teams are just a little bit, really. When you look at it, the Saints are the worst team in the league in terms of points combined, offensive points scored, defensive points allowed. But the Falcons are second. Yeah, both are over sixty points. So the the Saints are the perfect Big Twelve team. I mean, they'll play any pillow fight you want. They don't tackle very well. They could walk into the Big Twelve and probably win it. But their offense is good enough where they keep themselves in games like this week against Seattle. Seattle, Arizona has probably the biggest challenge of any two teams in the NFL. They played it five quarters last Sunday. It was a physical, hard-fought game. No matter what you thought of the game, I loved it. A lot of people didn't. But the game was hard-fought. It was intense physically. And now they both have to get on the road and travel. And Sean Payton will move the ball on Seattle. They'll, the Drew Brees will move the ball. And Seattle's offense isn't explosive enough to really extend. Yeah. So I think they have a chance to win some of these games where they play a team's offense, which isn't great. So the the Panthers, I mean, every game is do or die for them, I think, at this point. They're 1-5. and five. They have that banged-up cards team coming in this week. Then they're at Los Angeles, home for the Chiefs, home for New Orleans on a Thursday night. Is there any chance? You know, this to me is going to be the true test of who we are with the Carolina Panthers. One more time we're going to give them and tell them, look, who, who are we? And I think this is the perfect time. They should be healthy. Jonathan Stewart should be 100%. You know, they, they have had a week to regroup. This should be the best Carolina Panther team we have seen all season. And then we'll find out where we can go from here. If they don't beat this team, obviously eliminates them, but they have a chance to. They're catching a wounded team coming in and a tired team that has to travel. Whether they can improve defensively, I don't know. I think the disappointing thing if you're a Panther fan is your defensive front isn't playing nearly as well as you'd hoped it was, and it's translating into the problems in the back end. It's all just not because Josh Norman isn't there. It's because there's other things that are causing this, and that's their defensive front. So for me, this is my last stand on Carolina. I think they can win this game. I think this will be the healthiest and most motivated they'll be. We'll find out a lot about their team on Sunday. Who do you have out of the Colts, Titans, and Texans out of curiosity? 
I like actually I like the Titans. I'm disappointed that they lost the game to the Colts last week. I thought they had a chance to win that game. They got conservative towards the end, but uh, you know, and they turned the ball over and it made it a, the, the score extended itself. I like I like the Titans. I think their defensive front is good. I don't think their secondary is very good, and I think their offense can control the football and move the ball well. Not that they're explosive at receiver, but to me, they're the best team. I think Houston's as much as we make fun of Osweiler, and there's a lot to make fun about him because to <laughs> me, he's not even the best quarterback on their team. I think Tommy Savage is, but the reality here is their defense has really struggled. This was the team that on first down, they were the best team on in third down last year. By a lot, they were really good. And this year, they're ranked 14th in the league on third down. They're not the same team defensively, and that's a problem. <sighs> I The Colts, it felt gimmicky last week, and it worked, and they did what they had to do to win the game. But they basically kept the tight ends in to help them block, which was something they started the week before. And <laughs> a lot of times had like a seven-bit seven offensive line. At some point, that that's a gimmick, and the league's going to figure out how to how to go against that, right? Oh, no doubt. I mean, they're you know, look, they 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 have to protect themselves. This week's a challenge for the Colts because they got Kansas City coming in as a very well coached team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't have penalties. The Colts, besides their problems on offense, I mean, on defense in terms of not being very talented, they commit a lot of penalties. They do a lot of things that hurt themselves to win the game. And when you play a team like the Chiefs. You know that are that are well coached. They don't make mistakes. They typically don't turn the ball over. They're not flashy. They just come out and play you well. I think this will be a difficult game, but I think this will be an ABA game because I think the Chiefs defensively are not the same team that they were. They miss Justin Houston. Tomahawley can't rush as well. D Ford hasn't been has been better, but I don't think he's a dominant rusher. And you can't play as much man to man as the Chiefs try to play and survive if your front's not playing well. And I think that's where it goes. Look, that same game. If, Tom, if Sean Payton doesn't make that bad challenge late in the game, they have a chance to come back in that game and win it. I mean, the Saints had them, right? And they just and as as Payton admitted, they just weren't they didn't play smart enough to win the game. So it seems like the Chiefs are just limping along with Justin Houston and not rushing him back, almost like they think they can make the playoffs and they just want him to come back a hundred percent. I thought he was going to be back by now. Yeah, I don't think he's 100% healthy, and I don't think he's going to have the same year this year that he's had in the yeah. past. It's hard to feel that explosiveness off your ACL after after one year. It takes another year to really kind of come back fully. I think get him out there will certainly help them because they need more edge pressure. But the right. reality of it is I don't think the Justin Houston that dominated it will be the same Justin Houston. You warned us last week, Vikings-Eagles, you warned us about how bad the Vikings offensive line was and how you thought that was a good matchup for Philly's defensive line. Do we do we overreact to that game from a Vikings no. standpoint or do we no. um, what do you think? No, you just you have to be worried about the Vikings. Their bad lines don't travel. And that that line's problems are going to be always when they go on the road. They were masked because they played at home. The, once they started getting guys hurt and they could hide it a little bit at home, you can't hide it on the road. And I think when they play a front like Philadelphia or they play a front that can really rush the passer from the edges, like Brandon Graham was, I think, fifth or sixth in the league in pressures before went into that game. He's moved way up now. But when you play a team like that, I don't think you can play them on the road and, and effectively win the game. So there, there's the Vikings' problems are going to keep creeping up all the time. Who? What other defensive lines do you think could give them trouble? Who? Like, what's well, your top Seattle, five defensive line? Se- 
Okay. Well, Seattle's defensive line will give them tremendous amounts of trouble. They, they'll have a very difficult time if they played the if they played the Jets. Just their defensive front could give them trouble. I mean, anytime they play a front that can really rush the passer and create havoc. I mean, Miami when they were good with 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 Olivier Vernon and and Cameron Wake would have given them trouble. They're they're not the same team as they were. But I think the Seattle defensive front, when you look at it, Arizona's front starting to play really well. Arizona will give them trouble in there. And so I think that, you know, as you move forward, I don't think the Vikings are the lock to – I think they'll, they'll, they'll lock, they make the playoffs, but I don't think they're a lock to get to the Super Bowl because of the most talented team. I think there's issues on that offense that are going to keep creeping up every week. Their road games left are Chicago, Washington, Detroit on a Thursday, Jacksonville, Green Bay. And then their home games are Detroit, Arizona, who you just mentioned, Dallas, Indianapolis, and Chicago. I don't think that line is going to come back to haunt them in too many of those games. But in the playoffs, I think you're right. That's right. I think that that's why I think there's no doubt. And, And look, they know the problems. They're going to try to work around them. They're going to start using tight ends to stay in a block. But, you know, they, they need – they're getting nothing out of Treadwell, their first-round pick as a receiver. You know, they're starting to use Cordell Patterson more in their offensive scheme because he can at least give them explosive plays to go along with Stephon Diggs. So they need to find a way to get the ball down the field without exposing the line. That's always a really difficult problem to address and ultimately answer. You and I talked about early in the season about how good Stafford was the tail end of last year. His last 15 games, everybody's been talking about it this week, 34 TDs, 6 picks, 107 QB rating, over 4,000 yards. The flip side to that, if you actually look at the teams they played since last year's bye, he had Green Bay twice, he had Philly, Oakland, the Rams, the Saints, the Niners, the Bears. That was last year. This year, Indy, one of the worst defenses in the league, Tennessee, Green Bay, Chicago, Philly, the Rams, who have been really disappointed defensively, and the uh, Washington Native Americans. So I don't know whether to one – I'm definitely buying that Stafford seems like a different QB, and I get what how they're using him differently. But should I trust Matthew Stafford yet against a good defense? No, I, I would say Matthew Stafford's never been the problem in Detroit. He's always been the solution. I think the team's offensive line's better this year than it's been in the past, which helps him. The Philly game, you know, they blocked Philly half decent. They were home, and yeah. so you have to take solace in that. They hasn't had a running game the last couple of weeks because they've had injuries at running back. I think Riddick play, playing uh, coming back soon will help. I think that when you look at Forsett coming in there, he gave him a little bit more life than the, than the other back they were using. So. I think he's still going to be a good player, Bill. I think their problems defensively will creep up. And the one good thing he's been able to do is he hasn't had to play from behind. I mean, he's played from behind, but hasn't been dramatically behind like it was yeah. in the past. And I, and I think that and the other area why I think he's been more successful is there's the, he doesn't have to feed the monster. You know, when you have a guy like Calvin Johnson, you've got to feed the monster, and it takes you away from what you want to do offensively. And now he can just run his offense and run the system effectively and get the ball to the right people when he has to. And it takes a big pressure off of him because he knows when you've got a great player like Calvin Johnson, you've got to get him the ball. And so now he can just execute the offense. Not that, not that you don't want a great player, but it makes it easier for the quarterback to just distribute the ball to everybody. The New York football giants coming off – uh, a bye, they're on a bye week this week. And then they have three home games, Philly, Cincinnati, and Chicago in a row. So they're basically at home for a month. And then you have Washington's also 4-3, and three, Philly's 4-2, and two, Dallas is 5-1. and one. I don't remember having four teams in the same division heading into week eight with winning records. Do you think both wild cards come out of this division? 
I do. I think they'll be. I think, and I, I like Philly to be the wild card here. Maybe, maybe Washington could sneak. I don't trust Washington's defense. Haven't trusted them all year. And the New York Football Giants, to me, their offense has been very bad. There are, you know, people talk about the Packers being bad on offense. Well. They run the Packers' offense in New York, and it's bad. And they've got really good offensive skill players in New York. And they can't seem to always – like that game against the Rams was bad offensive football by the Giants. And Eli can't get protection inside. I don't trust the Giants defensively. I don't trust them offensively. I don't trust their head coach. I don't trust anything they've done organizationally. I mean, they've had a really bad year. I mean, you know, they've had a bad year hiring. They've had a bad year in the decision to sign Josh Brown. I don't think it's been a good year for the football Giants. Even how they've handled Beckham, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated to see how this division plays out because the Cowboys look like the best NFC team. It's hard for me to fathom, but I if I had to bet my life on one of those teams, I think I would bet my life on them. And yet they have this Romo shadow hanging over them. I saw you on TV. You, you were saying, uh, I think on, on the Bayless show this week, you were saying how if Romo's going to come back at Cleveland is the week to do it. Right. It, do you really but think I they're going to bring him I back? Said, no, I said it in this sense. I said it in in a way to indoctrinate him into I, yeah, yeah, I to got get you. Him, to get him some reps because he's never played. He's missed all of preseason. He missed all of last year. You got to get him some live bullets and get him used to it. I'm and I am clearly saying not to bring him back to start him, but to bring yeah. him back to be an adequate backup. Right. That's what I. That's what you have to do. And. You can't go into any decision with maybe. Maybe's the worst thing you want to do is because you don't have an answer. So can he stay healthy? I don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe he can't. Well, let's put him in a game if we're ahead in the fourth quarter in Cleveland, which we should be, and let's let him play a little bit and see how he does. And hopefully we'll have a big enough lead. He's not going to cost us the game. We can run the ball effectively. But let's at least get him out there and get his feet wet and see what he can do. You're not going to be able to simulate it in practice. So where are you going to get, where are you going to be able to make the right decision on Romo if you don't see him in a live game? So if you do that, do you have to say beforehand, Prescott is our starter the rest of the season, but we're doing this with Tony Romo? How do you handle it uh, externally? I, 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 I think you just say, look, we got to get Tony some reps. I mean, I don't think you go into the game saying, you know, when we blow out when we blow out Cleveland because now that puts Cleveland on alert. But I think there's yeah. a there, – I would just simply say, look, we have a plan for Tony. The plan doesn't involve starting him right away. The plan involves we have to integrate him back into the system to prove that he can be durable and leave it at that and then watch people execute your plan. What do you expect from Patriots' bills this week? Well, look, I think McCoy's the wild card. You know, last week he had no burst. He really couldn't press off the hamstring. I think it was, to me, I thought Miami could beat them last week. I thought Miami was a bad matchup for them because Miami's receivers could exploit the corners in Buffalo. And I thought if Miami could protect, which is not always an easy thing for Miami, the one thing that drives Rex Ryan crazy is when you can run the ball on him. And you can run the ball. The Buffalo Bills are not a big physical team. They're a little team. Now they get Darius back this week. That helps. But what kind of shape is Darius in coming off the hamstring? I doubt he's in very good shape. I expect the Patriots to tempo this game, play fast break basketball, try to get it going, and throw the football. They're not going to get shut out this week. And I think the Bills will will have to find a way to move the ball if McCoy's not 100% have to find a way to consistently move the football. They're not very good on third down, and if the Patriots can force them into third downs and put some pressure on them, which hasn't been the forte of the Patriots, I think the Patriots have the better team. The Patriots have no pass rush whatsoever, and they're the best team in the league. Should I be concerned? It's remarkable. 
Yeah, well, I think you, if they had to play Pittsburgh again, but look, the Patriots rush a certain way, which is always not conducive to having a great pass rush. They never run up the field. They never run past the quarterback. They try to work their way, and they try to keep the pocket tight, but they need more production out of their defensive players. I think they need more production out of Hightower. They need more production out of Collins. People have this notion that these guys are playing great. They're not. They're, they're, they're not at a level that would be acceptable to a championship level. They need more out of Collins. They need more out of out of high tower, they need more out of all their defensive guys, and I think it needs to start showing up. I think the Eric Rowe trade has proved to be pretty good because they get another corner that can match up on certain receivers. He can play the bigger receivers. Perhaps this week he goes on Justin Hunter because that's kind of the kind of guy he can cover. So I think that that's really been a, a good acquisition for him. But they need to be able to have more guys on the field with speed that can tackle, especially if McCoy's 100%. They miss a lot of tackles. And then this week, hopefully they'll decide to block Zach Brown. He only made 17 tackles the last time they played him. So I have a feeling Belichick's pointed out to him that, you know, we better block Zach Brown. We don't want to get him defensive player of the week again. Do you think Landry Jones was a 40-minute QB or a 45-minute QB? I think he was about a 40-minute. I mean, I was screaming at the television, can we just put a little pressure on him? I mean, at some point, make him play faster. But, you know, that's the one thing about Belichick, that he has such a great ability to be patient. He was not going to let them have a cheap touchdown or blow the game, and he was going to force them to work it down the field. I think they played the style he wanted to play. It drives me crazy, but he does. He's just so good at that. He doesn't really blink and he doesn't panic and he doesn't ever get tired. I've always said about Belichick, if he was in the home building business, he'd build one home a year. He's not Pulte Homes. He's not going to build a bunch of track homes. He's building one house a year. We haven't really dipped into the Lombardi glossary yet. Do you have anything to explain 2016's most entertaining team, the San Diego Chargers? I I can't. I I think they're remarkable. And I went through it, and I think they're going to make the playoffs. Me too. You look at the schedule. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I I thought they would give Atlanta a tough game last week. I think they have two dominant defensive front seven players in Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram is one of the best players in the league nobody talks about. Yeah. He's number 54 on the scorecard. He's really good. And Joey Bosa's really good. Now, they, they drive me crazy because I love John Pagano as a person, but he does not subscribe to the Fred Palermo theory of menus. He's all <laughs> over the place. Okay, he is all over the place. He, he's got every blitz known to mankind, and sometimes he can blitz them out of a game. But they're a good team. I mean, they're a good team, and Phillip Rivers is really a good player. They find receivers. I mean, the, the kid from Western Oregon, Williams, I mean, where do they get him from? And he comes in and makes plays. I thought Travis Benjamin, when I was in Cleveland, was a legitimate big-time receiver. I know he's little. I know he's not going to go across the middle all the time, but he's explosive and can outrun every angle. So I, I like their pieces. They're playing better in their offensive line. I think it's a good team. Do I think they go into Denver and win? No, because I don't think Denver's going to have 12 penalties like they did the last time they played them. So I think Denver will play them much smarter. But I think it's a good team, and I think this San Diego team's a team to contend for. I mean, you have to be prepared to play them. Your offense has got to be really good because he's going to move the ball on you. So to your point on the schedule, at Denver this week, then home for Tennessee and Miami. Right. So let's say they lose to Denver. I actually think they have a good chance to beat Denver, but let's say they lose. They're they're certainly not favored to win. They'd be five and five after those ten games if they took care of right. business against Tennessee, Miami. By week at Houston, home Tampa, at Carolina, home Oakland, at Cleveland, home for KC. Now that yeah. KC Week Seventeen game, the Chargers could be nine and six, and the Chiefs could be ten and five or nine and six, whatever. That could be one of those Week Seventeen playoff games. I think they have to get to 10 wins. 
I think ten wins gets you in in the in the in either conference as a wild card. I think it's one of those years where we're gonna have a lot of teams cluttered in that nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine range. Ten wins gets them. So the Chargers right now are plus four hundred to make the playoffs. Just I, 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 there's not a team on that schedule that they can't beat. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, last thing, we have the can't handle success Super Bowl this week between the Buccaneers and the Raiders. Well, I mean, look, I, I think this is this to me has me. Compl- if I'm a Raider fan, I'm worried. The Raiders decided to stay in Tampa this week. I think they stayed in Tampa. Oh no, all week long. Oh, I didn't boy. fly back home and fly there. So I, I, I'm not. You know, men will be men, and Tampa's not a town to put an immature team in for an entire week. So, and Tampa has this little uniqueness to them. I mean. They they make mistakes. They battle back. They got down to San Francisco, fourteen points, and then they rallied back. And Winston's all over the place. But I, I think Tampa's one of those teams that you better make sure you button it up and play well. And I think the Raiders are not a mature team. This has got and everybody's talking. When the Raiders are getting talked up, that's when you have to worry about them the most. Mike Lombardi, Sunday, eleven a.m., Fox Sports One. Oh, we didn't talk about Embiid. Oh, he's the good. process. Uh, the pro- trust the process, Bill. I'm excited. I really am. I bought the ticket. I'm excited. I, I, I'm going. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to enjoy it. I really am. I'm going to enjoy it, even though I don't think they. You know, I don't trust the process. I think. I think Millie, my wife, could have picked Embiid. I think that would be easy. They just fell in his lap. Yeah. I think the coach is really good, and people keep telling me to trust the process, and and all they did is lose. But I do have a big announcement for you, though, Bill. Yeah. We are starting a podcast here, Make Me Smarter podcast on Fox. It's a short, quick podcast. We're going to take about two or three things that happened during the week and try to explain them in a correct fashion. So instead of me screaming at the television all the time about what they're saying, I can do it on the, I can do it on a podcast. Oh, that's exciting. All right. And we can see you on FS1 on Sundays, 11 a.m. Yep. And uh... – and say hi to Fred Palermo for me. We'll see you next I week. I will. All right. I'm sure he's probably at the diner right now. All right. <laughs> Thanks, see you later. Bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to call Robert Mays. Before we do that, I hate shaving so much that sometimes I grew beards just so I didn't have to shave. I never knew what razors to use. I never knew when to stop using one razor and move to a fresher one. I would just mangle my face. Harry's.com sent me some razors. It changed my life. I don't get shaving cuts anymore. I don't get shaving zits on my neck anymore. I have a nice, clean happy face. Thank you, Harry's. Harry's just made their razors even better while keeping prices exactly the same. Their five-blade razors now include a softer flex hinge, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control when it's wet. Still $2 per blade compared to four or more that you'll pay at the drugstore. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their, bra- of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set. Comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel free when you sign up for a shave plan just pay shipping that's it enter code bs at checkout you get a post shave balm added to your order for free go to harrys.com offer code bs and also since we're here are you hiring do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates well posting your job in one place is not enough anymore for the perfect hire you need to post your job on all the top job sites now you can ZipRecruiter.com posts your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry, just post once. Watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy to use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, hire the right person fast. 
Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. You know what? The Ringer might have to use it to find our West Coast social media head. Because we need one. We need a social media head on the West Coast. Might have to try ZipRecruiter. In the meantime, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Once again, ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. All right, here's Robert Mays. All right, I've known Robert Mays for six years. We met at the 2010 NBA Finals. He was a young little pudgy baby. And now he's a, <laughs> he's a grown adult. He writes football columns. He meets deadlines. We've been working together for five years. He hands in long pieces. He writes a whole bunch of stuff uh, for The Ringer, and he's very good. He's also the host of The Ringer NFL Show. And most importantly, a giant Cubs fan. We had to have one Cubs fan on the BS podcast this week. How are you, Maze? You know what? I'm doing okay. I feel like the dread that will creep in in the next six hours or so hasn't started yet, and it feels pretty nice. What was your reaction in the ninth inning, even though you were up 5 nothing, and you're about to go to the World Series, and you would clearly uh, vanquish the Dodgers, and they had no spirit left, and yet somebody hit a foul ball right into the Bartman seats, and the announcers were like, oh, and, and then they just agreed not to talk about it and pretend it never happened. Did you have a heart attack in that moment? I did not have a heart attack in that moment because I was at the game, and oh. I don't think I saw it go that direction. I feel like I was more engaged in everything else that was happening, and That's I didn't good. even consider that in the moment, which was really nice. I'm glad I was distracted because that probably would have made me lose my mind. Yeah, you know, having gone through this in 04 with the Sox, and you just start looking for signs that something terrible is going to happen or there's some bad omen, and that's just how you're conditioned when your team hasn't won forever. You just assume every... Every sign is a bad sign. When I saw that, and then they just got through it and they won anyway, I thought that was a good sign. I think it's a good sign that they won game two, a game that they had to win. I think it's a really good sign that you have three games in a row at home because if you win tonight, Friday night, it's not going to get rained out or anything, right? I don't think so. I mean, I know that it's it's supposed to be in the next 24 hours or so, there's a chance that something's going to come in, but it doesn't look like it's drastic. Okay, so if you win tonight, then Kluber is tomorrow on three days rest? Kluber on short rest, yeah. I mean, that's the nice part. Beatable. You assume that he's not going to be the guy he was in game one. Beatable. He only threw 88 pitches in game one, but beatable. And I think the narrative will be if you can win tonight, then it'll be, oh, the Indians, well, they have Kluber. And, but if you, if, you, if you get past Kluber somehow and you're up 3-1 heading into that Sunday, I, I, that's going to be one of the most unbelievable sports nights of this century. Potentially. I'm really not ready for it. Okay. All right. That's way too far away for me. Okay, good. So my thought is that in the pitching side of it, the thing I was most worried about, which is crazy to say at this point, was what Arietta was going to look like on Wednesday. I mean, he's just been so up and down that I feel like him getting the good version of him. And now, tonight, we have the guy I... The most I feel the safest about right. the guy I feel like is the most reliable is Kyle Hendricks at home. Which, when you consider that the Cubs one and two starters are John Lester and the guy who won the Cy Young last year, that's insane. Right. Well, Hendricks doesn't have a pulse. I'm not sure he no, has it's blood. Amazing. He might not have blood. He just he's like he's he like came a back zombie. From that game the other day and did his taxes. I guarantee you he did his quarterly tax report after winning game two or winning that game six. I guarantee you he did. 
He reminds me of the the Westworld the when in the Westworld pilot when they brought the <laughs> naked guy back out to reprogram him and he was just kind of blankly walked out. That's what he was like walking back to the dugout every inning. He's really well, impressive. Fly landed on his face. He'd be fine. He'd definitely not react. Yeah, he wouldn't move. I don't watch the National League until October. I just don't have time. I, I'll admit it. I love baseball, but I, I watch the Red Sox and I care about the American League. And then when it gets to October, I watch everybody. I've been really impressed by the Cubs. I like all three of your starters. I think you need three that you can count on. You need that sneaky starter who's not the ace, but still super reliable, which you have with Hendricks. The bullpen's good. Uh, I had no idea Baez was so entertaining and annoying and entertainingly annoying all at the same time. Chris Bryant's scary as hell. Uh, Schwarber, obviously, to have him in six and seven if it goes back would be great. Just a really, really, really super duper entertaining team. And uh, I don't know. I th- I think they're the best team. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but it does seem like they have the most talent, right? I feel like that, and especially when the bats are alive, it definitely feels like that. And the thing that made them great in the regular season, you know, that kind of near historical differential, all that stuff. People want to say it's because Bryant, Rizzo, and everything. Their pitching staff is incredible. Yeah. So Kyle Hendricks led the majors in ERA. So the fact that you have that kind of quality up top, and then the thing that I really appreciated was Theo and, and Jed Hoyer understanding that they needed to make some moves. And I know Chapman's been the one everyone's talked about, yeah. but Mike Montgomery is quietly a huge trade. Yeah. The fact that you go get a lefty that can give you three innings in the middle of a game, that's come up for them. And combined with everything else, yeah. I mean, I think they do have the best team. But all year, what I was worried about is in baseball, that doesn't necessarily matter. So the fact that they're this close and playing well, that's what has me breathing a little bit easier. What's your worst case scenario? We we talked about the best case scenario, which would be winning tonight. Then uh, when everybody thinks Kluber is going to bring it back to 2-2, knocking him out, all of a sudden you're up 3-1. Because that's the great thing about these three in a row. All of a sudden it could be up 3-1, down 3-1. What's your worst case scenario for tonight? My worst case scenario is that the bats go quiet in a game where they shouldn't. So you're looking at that Hendricks game that he lost against Kershaw, where even if he pitches well, I think him pitching well is not a certainty, but something I feel good about. But just because that happens doesn't mean they don't go cold again, which they've done at times. So they go cold, they lose a 2-1, 1-0 game that they should win. Kluber comes back and pitches lights out tomorrow and Lackey doesn't pitch well. That's my worst case, is that easily you could be looking at 3-1 with that. Okay. Um Two questions about the crowds. So with the Red Sox up through when they finally won, there would be a tenseness sometimes that you could just feel collectively like, oh, no, oh, God, oh, what's going on? That just is what happens when you're like an abused dog, basically, as a fan base. Have you felt that in the stands at these games during weird points of the games? The nice part about game six is there was really no moment to ever feel that. Because they jumped on them so quickly, yeah. I think the only time that ever really crept up was when Hendricks gave up the leadoff hit to Tolls. Because there was never a moment where it seemed like it was slipping away because they only had 27 outs. Right. They turned a double play every single time a guy got on base. So that was really the best part of the game is that they got up so big so fast that that dread really never had a chance to creep in. Right. The only time it really happened was the previous round against the Giants when they uh... – when the Giants had the comeback homer. And I forget what game that was. Game three? Wasn't that? Yeah, that was bad, but it, it, you, was, it wasn't you know, in Wrigley. When, when, no, but when Rich Hill pitched lights out, 
I was like, this is over. Rich Hill just shut this team down. I know Rich Hill. I've had some time with Rich Hill. Yeah. And if they're not going to be able to hit, and Kershaw is just lingering somewhere, there's no way this is going to happen. That's definitely the moment where I was just like, well, this was fun. But outside of that, I just felt like they've been in control ever since the bats started getting heavy again. Yeah. All right, so you're there Saturday night. Jacko, my buddy, um, made the thesis that Saturday night was the drunkest night any city has ever had. I don't know if that's hyperbole. What was Saturday night like? What? How drunk was everybody? I Going out onto Clark Street, there was a guy climbing a street sign the moment I left the stadium. It was to a point where I was actually afraid. My buddy lives right off the right off Clark in that main drag, yeah. and we just tried to sprint to his apartment in order to avoid it. But right. over the course of those next like four hours, the streets did not clear out, and every single person that arrived at his apartment, it was just like a party all over again. I right. don't know if I've ever seen a collective joy like I've seen that. Yeah, the it's because I we had it in Boston too during '04 a couple times, and some other times with Boston sports. But Chicago people are just generally. Just happy drunk people. I, I hate to pigeonhole the entire city, but just a happy place. Oh, no, we'll people it. people like celebrating in Chicago. They'll they'll celebrate anything. It was really great. Yeah. That's so true. They will celebrate anything. And when there's something actually worth celebrating, it definitely gets kicked to another level. I will admit that. I'm honestly afraid about the integrity of my buddy's apartment if this does actually happen. I think he has disaster insurance. I honestly think he went and got some. You know, it's it's so funny. Chicago people, the curse of the Cubs these past few decades is that everybody just loved going to Wrigley and having a couple of drinks, maybe sneaking a couple of cigs, and uh, and then going out after. And it was like there wasn't that urgency that some other teams have. It's it's almost. I've talked to Tommy Alter about it, who works for my TV show. There wasn't that urgency with the Cubs fans because you're just like, whatever. We're we're probably never going to win. I just like going. And, you know, it was this kind of happy-go-lucky nature that I always really envied and, and admired. You that know? is true. and that's. But the thing is, I feel like now that did leak out over the course of this season. I think that when you have a team this good, yeah. there is a I-can't-believe-it's-happening element to it. Yeah. But I also think that, especially the Cubs fans that know that one went a lot, two are really in the know, yeah. they want this. Oh, it's yeah. not a we're-happy-to-be-here sort of thing. I think it's kind of a desperation. Like this, It doesn't matter how much you think they're going to be around for years to come, how young they are. When you get this close, I think that there's a hunger that starts to creep in for sure. No question. And you could feel it in August and September, and yet a lot of the Cubs fans are doing the whole thing of, uh, no, man, just getting there would be great. I just want to get there. Yeah, and no, then, yeah anything not. else is gravy. And you're like, come on, you're full of shit. Stop it. You don't believe that. You want to win. You have the best team. It's going to hurt if you don't win. Just admit it. And the Cubs are, no, 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 man. We're just honored to be here. Now I think everybody could smell it. There's an odor. You can't. Yeah. You can't. As soon as Rizzo started hitting, that's when I said to myself, okay, now this is the team I watched all year. And the team I watched all year is definitely the best team in baseball. So yeah. that was the nice thing about Game 6. It's not just that they won. It's that they won as the team I watched all season. And that's what made me really confident going into this. I said, okay, the, this team that won 103 games that had this plus 260 run differential or whatever, that's the team I just watched, and I don't think anybody's beating that team. Can we get, can we get like, slightly sad for a second? Sure, absolutely. 
you your dad is no longer with us, but you had the same relationship with him that I have with my dad. When did he pass away? Uh, 2009, so it's been seven years and change. Yeah, so watching you go through this, and you've tweeted about it a couple times, like how much your dad would have enjoyed this. Like, how much do you think about that during this whole thing? Because, like, if it if it was my if it was me in '04 with my dad, and my dad wasn't there, I would have thought about him the entire time. So, what's that like? I think about it every day. Yeah. Um, every single time I'm there, I do. You know, there are a couple like moments before the game where like a song or a montage or whatever, you know, every single time I'm there about it. And it's just little things, you know, it's when I came back to my place and I listened to the Pat Hughes call, just the amount of hours I spent driving around Chicago during the summer, listening to Pat Hughes call Cubs games with my dad. Right. It's just amazing. I mean, you just think about the years and years and years. So yeah, I mean, every single time, I just don't know how you would separate that. It's impossible for me to. Yeah. I noticed that with when it happened with the Red Sox, how many people experienced it through relatives or parents or brothers or sisters, like whatever, that weren't there and how prevalent that was and how they experienced the moment. I mean, people were going to the people were going to the graves and stuff the day after and everything. You know? And I do think that's the difference with um tortured fan bases. Um and fan bases that just haven't won in forever versus like a fan base that's been around 20, you know, 20 years or a team that's been around 25 years, whatever. Um, so it is that extra element. Um, There's no doubt. I mean, my dad moved here in 1981 to Chicago. He wasn't from anywhere. He was a yeah. military brat. He grew up in a hundred different places and he adopted, he adopted, he adopted Chicago, but Chicago adopted him. Right. And I think that he did that through sports. And yeah. just the idea of how he reacted to those teams, you know, there's no way I'll ever be able to go to Wrigley Field and not think about him. And I feel like that's added another level to it. It's made it even more special. How many people fit in Wrigley Field? Uh, it's like 42,000. So that's the attendance when you take into account standing room, all that. I was going to say, is it like secretly 50,000? I mean, there's a lot of people standing behind you when you're in the seats of these games. They're really trying to pinch pennies. Or they're not trying to pinch pennies here. They're really trying to bleed people for those 800 bucks or whatever pay, people are paying for seats. Yeah, because I remember Fenway was 35000 or something when they, they've added seats since then when in uh, 03, 04. But especially in 04, it started to feel like, all right, this is not safe. There's 43,000 people in here or whatever. It seemed like it was like 20% more filled than it should have been. Um. Last it can be funny when a million people claim like they were claim to be at Game Six. There are going to be a million people that are like, "Oh yeah, I was there. It was great." It's going to be really fun in ten years when that happens. What are your columns that are scheduled for next week? Just out of curiosity, should we have some? Uh, I've got a couple things. Should we have some younger Ringer staffers being ready to fill in some of those spots? Maybe potentially. The worst thing is I'm going to be in LA next week. So if it goes seven, you guys are going to have to deal with me all day on Wednesday. Oh my God. That yep. sounds like a Facebook Live. That. When do you get to <laughs> LA? I have a camera on me all day. But it's Wednesday morning because I didn't want to come Tuesday night just because if they do clinch it in six, I would like to be home. Yeah, I would hope so. I, I feel yeah. if they if they for some reason won on Tuesday night, I feel bad for the guy sitting next to you on Wednesday morning on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not gonna have slept. It's the worst four hours of that guy's life. He doesn't know who he is yet. He's like, Oh my god. 
I had some unshowered guy. Shaking. You were just emitting alcohol from every pore of your body. Hey, yeah, quit. I, I should apologize to him when I sit down. <laughs> so that's always the worst when the person apologizes to you when they sit down before the plane's taken off. You're like, oh no, this is really going to be a disaster. Hey, um, yeah, it's not going to go well. Quickly, you're hosting the uh, Ringer NFL show for us, and you're also writing a ton of football for us. What's your Super Bowl right now? That's a really good question. I feel like gun to my head, it would probably be Seattle, New England still. If there's not a team in the NFC that really scares me, I think that everyone in that conference is super full in one way or the other. Yeah. So even if you think Seattle's offensive line is a disaster, their defense plus Russell Wilson, I still feel like is the best combo in that conference. And then in the AFC, I mean, who scares you? Like, no Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh? So outside of that, I mean, there's really no other team that looks nearly as good as New England. I don't think this is anything close to the Patriots teams we've seen over the past five years, but I still think it's more than enough to make them the favorite over there. Our defense scares me more than any other team. That's how I'd put it. I think it's yeah, it's. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's a beatable Patriots team, and the right team could just, like, you know, I keep – I'm, I'm kind of hoping the Chargers don't make the playoffs because the Chargers would scare me in a round two. Phil Rivers, 10-point underdogs, just kind of doing Phil Rivers things. And, you know, they have two guys who can rush the pass, passer really well. And that would scare me a little bit. I don't know. It, it just seems early. I don't, I, don't, I don't know whether it's because the league is just worse or there's been too many injuries or the CBA has put so many young guys on every team. It takes two months to even know what you have. I don't know what the reason is, but all of these teams look really, really flawed. And, you know, you wrote about this last week, but I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see the team that's putting it together and running on all cylinders. It's just not happening. I totally agree. Aaron Schatz wrote this week in his DVOA breakdown, Seattle is the worst number two team in DVOA through seven weeks ever. Wow. And Denver is the worst number three. So even if I think Philly is like the fifth worst number one, so it's not just that we're you're wishing for better times or thinking that the teams we grew up with or whatever are more elite. It really is bearing out the numbers. There just aren't that many teams that are running over people, and I feel like it makes it wide open. Would you bet on the Chargers plus 400 to make the playoffs? I probably would, but you know me and Phillip Rivers. I cannot be rational. I mean, he's just a guy who I've been in love with for like six years. I look at him through rose-colored glasses. He has eight kids and you, so you're really his ninth kid. He's, he doesn't know you're one of the eight or one of the nine, but you, you love him as much as... Does he have more than eight kids? How many kids does he have? It's eight. It's I eight? think it's eight. I feel like that's where we are right now. I mean, how quick do you want him to pump him out? It feels like he's at a pretty good clip. I think he should have one for every year he every year he uh, plays from now on. I think he could just get to sixteen, seventeen. It could be he could be on like that John and Kate type of show after he retires or something. Uh, all right, I'm quick. sure his wife is super into that idea because <laughs> she obviously just has no problem. Uh, <laughs> Dwayne Wade, did you were you excited at all last night? That'll be my last question. Hey, Tiny uh, bit? I mean, it was. I'm excited to watch the Bulls, but I still it one game against the Celtics. I know the Celtics are good, but. One game is not going to make me make those fears disappear that they're not going to be able to shoot the ball. I know they hit their first five, but it still feels like you know that's blind luck, and that is not going to happen anytime again soon. I uh, I really enjoyed having basketball back, and it actually struck me watching the basketball how many quality guys they have and how good some of the basketball was already compared to what we've watched with football, where football is just a, a fucking slog. 
I love football. I, 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 there's maybe one game a week that I like watching. I don't even care if I'm watching and some of these games anymore. The problem now is that even the teams that are good, like Philly is number one in DVOA, Minnesota, they're good with defense. Yeah. So the teams that are the best in the league aren't fun to watch. And I feel like that's the biggest problem is that, that Seattle Arizona game, quality of play-wise, isn't as bad as people are making it out to be, but it's still not fun. Yeah, and I totally agree. As someone who spends twelve hours of his Sunday every single week doing this for a living, it hasn't really been a blast. No, thank God for the Chargers. Uh, brief, tiny shout out to the Raiders. They've been kind of fun. Uh, the yeah, Pats, agreed. Pats with Gronk, with Brady and Gronk together, I think is just a reliably entertaining combo. But for the most part, the Cowboys I've enjoyed. I like watching Elliott. I like watching Prescott. Like that's a pretty fun team, but for the most part, totally pretty lousy. Hey, Mays, good luck this weekend. And thanks, buddy. Do you? I have one question for you. Do you feel like Gronk's 69th touchdown or the Cubs winning the World Series would be a bigger sports moment? I think they have to happen on the same day. I think that's good for you. I think <laughs> the parlay of those two. First of all, Gronk getting to a 69 touchdown, the odds of that were probably 10 to 1 with how everybody goes at his legs and how crazy he is. But, um, but man, if that could happen on the same day, wow. What, uh, what, what's next? The history of sports. Yeah, what's next? Good luck. Good luck to everyone in Chicago. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you soon. All right. Our friends at Squarespace make it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Regardless of skill level, no coding needed. Not only does Squarespace provide easy-to-use tools, Squarespace's state-of-the-art technology ensures security and stability. Millions of people, some of the world's most respected brands, trust Squarespace, so you should too. Not only do you get 24-7 online support, you can even design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, and customizable settings. And with Squarespace Commerce, you get all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Start a free trial today, no credit card required. Squarespace.com, use offer code BS to get 10% off your first purchase. And now, the one and only member of Squarespace, housefromdc.com. Here he is. All right, last but not least, Joe House is on the line, the host of Shack House podcast on the Ringer Network and um, the owner of one of the most embarrassing picks records that's ever been recorded on podcasts. We have good news. We're heading week, heading into week eight. We've decided to blow up the Callaway Par 3 format. We're, thro- we're throwing away the first seven weeks. We're pretending it was a preseason. The real season begins this week. House and I are now teaming up. We're going to make three picks. He's making one. I'm making one. And then we're making one that we agreed on. And we're going to seriously keep track. And we have, let's see, seven, 11 regular season weeks left. And then four playoff rounds left. So let's see what kind of score we can shoot here. House, how are you? Bringing up the rear on Friday rolling is exactly the right place for us after the first seven weeks. But I love this collaboration that we're about to embark on we just need to come up with three you know well thought out they everyone's not going to win we're not going to go what did what'd you say 11 weeks 33 and 0 here right but maybe we could we, maybe we can win two-thirds and two-thirds would help a lot of our friends if any of our friends were dumb enough to track uh our plays these first few weeks 
maybe win back a little bit of their money, or go online and order some Callaway stuff and use promo code HOUSE and get that shipped to you for free. That's yes. another way to get money in your pocket. Well, another thing I was, another tweak I was thinking with the formula, we'll call it the Callaway Par 3, but sometimes it might just be a Par 4. We might take four. My goal is to get for us to get to like minus eight by the end of the season. So you go first. You, that would let's be hear, good. Let's hear your pick first for this week. This week I like, out of all of the 13, well, there's 12 remaining after last night's uh, crap fest that I hope you and Lombardi didn't talk about for more than five seconds. Uh, we talked about um, it for two minutes. Oh, okay. Just of about the, the remaining. Tw- <laughs> sure, that's 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 the right uh, topic. Um, I'm taking the San Diego Chargers. I've seen them getting as much as five and a half points in the uh, in the Super Contest. I believe they're getting five and a half. I have it points. at five. I, I've seen it as five as well. Um, at both of those numbers, I like the Chargers. I like them for a few reasons. Uh, first of all. Phil Rivers, very good as an underdog in his career. 17-7 and seven record as an underdog of at least four and a half points. Hmm. Uh, against elite defenses, Phil Rivers, also with a strong against the, the spread record. 11-5 and five against the spread when he's playing against defenses that have allowed, that are, are allowing less than 16 and a half points. I like very much, this is, was the thing that put me over the top on the Chargers, Kevin Clark, uh, in his column this week, his picks column mused about the Chargers. Where where might they be if Joey Bosa had been along for the ride from the very beginning? In in just three games, he's already in the top half of all edge rushers uh, with the number of pressures. And it's easy to look at their schedule and look at the way some of the, the those early games went, the way the ball bounced. The Chargers could be 5-2, and two, and I greatly regret not sticking to my guns. You and I and the Cuz had a preseason discussion in August. I didn't stick to my guns on either Tom Brady as MVP, which is looking pretty good, or the Chargers of the Dark Horse coming out of the NFC West. Well, um, wait, I have, I, have, I have good news for you. The what char- is it? The Chargers are plus 400 to make the playoffs. Mm. Yeah. Discussed that with Lombardi and with Mays before you came on. We went through their schedule. I mean, obviously, if they could get through this week and they have Tennessee and Miami at home the next two weeks, they could potentially be six and four. But uh, even if they don't... I don't like them to win this week. This one's a tough one. Well, even if they don't get through this... Even if they don't get through this week, they can still be five and five heading into the bye, and they can still go five and one down the stretch. I think it takes ten wins to make the playoffs. So, um, it's an incredible Phil Rivers year. That's the only thing I'd like to say. So, my, thing I'd like to say. My pick this week, as I, I kept staring at the uh, the Raiders, and I thought I was going to take the Raiders, and then Lombardi told us a little bit earlier that they they've been in Tampa all week. They decided not to fly back. That makes me nervous. I know you don't I, like that. I know the, what, the funny thing is, Tampa is flying back. Tampa was in San Francisco last week. You know the historical bent is to, you know, uh, penalize the team that has to travel cross country. You're penalizing the Raiders for staying in Florida. It's not just Florida. It's Tampa. I know what happens in Tampa. <laughs> I don't. I don't like this idea at all. And I don't think you I'm can get grown men curfews. You know why I'm laughing. Yeah, I know why you're laughing. <laughs> so I'm staying away from the Raiders. I like the Texans a little bit, but not quite enough because I, 
the Matt Stafford repeatedly coming back over and over again thing is I just don't want to go against that right now. I really like my team, and I'm taking them minus six and a half for the following reasons. The Bills embarrassed them a couple weeks ago. That's one. Uh, the Patriots now have Tom Brady, who they did not have in the last game. I think it turns out he might make a difference over Jacoby Brissett. Gronk, 69th touchdown. And Mays and I just talked about the possibility of this happening on the same day that the Cubs won the World Series. That's pretty exciting. And then, wow. uh, and then last but not least, LaShawn McCoy, not healthy, pulling a hamstring. And their receivers are a mess. I was watching last week. Bills Dolphins and they kept throwing a Goodwin the whole game because Watkins is out Robert Woods didn't play so it was like Goodwin I, did, I barely even had ever heard of Goodwin and uh, at the end of the game he got a concussion so Woods is coming back they have no receivers and McCoy is banged up and I just is the Pats have that bend but don't break defense but I just don't think they're going to be able to score touchdowns and I think you're going to need to get to I don't know 27 to beat the Pats and I don't think that the Bills can get to between 14 and 17 and I think the Pats are just 24 points every game so it's math it's pure math house I think the Pats win the people do not like it when I agree with you on on Boston teams yeah um but I I'm I'm vigorously and and almost violently in support of this Patriots pick this week have have what's the closest game been with Brady back at the helm, um, in terms of point spread, I mean point differential. They they put Has up, anybody gotten within? No, they double figures every game. They've been 33, 35, yeah. 27. Last year they were at least, I forget if it was twenty four or twenty seven, but it's just the offense they have during the regular season. If if everyone's healthy, they're going to get to the mid twenties every game, and probably into the low thirties if they get a, a special teams player, defensive player, or anything. So, all right, our third. Brady's been back. Yeah, Vegas has trotted out a whole series of inflated lines, trying to get folks to take the other side. And I've been on the wrong side a couple times against Brady. I'm not doing it again. The other thing I is support your pick of the Pats. Yeah, and they have a bye week next week too. So you know, they like to put it. They like to pull the whole Milton Burrow out the week before uh, the the bye week. All right, our joint pick this week is going to be the Chiefs. They're playing at Indianapolis. They're laying two and a half points. They, it's a team that um, there, there's always been a lot of good games between these two teams. I just think the Colts are terrible. Last week they beat the Texans. They did this gimmick with, uh, not the Texans, the uh, Titans. They did this gimmick. They, they had a bunch of tight ends and seven-man offensive line. And I just, I don't think it's going to be something that works long-term. I also like the Chiefs. I, I think I think they're good. They're not great. They're not. They're probably not a Super Bowl team, but they're they're just a professional football team. And I'm taking Andy yeah, Reid. I'm right there. Exactly. That's the point I was going to make. I, I think these teams are not that far apart um, o- overall. There's a humongous difference defensively, obviously, between the Colts and the Chiefs. But I like very much. It's a nice. Um, tight line. The Chiefs have just have to win by a field goal. They are the better side of of these these two teams. And Andy Reid's on the road against the spread record over the years. Um, he's done a very nice job of preparing his teams uh, for the road. I think the Chiefs can do a little ball control. And the other thing I worry about every week with the Colts is this the week that Andrew Luck gets knocked out of the game? Yeah, 
It's I'm always not rooting in play. for it. Right. But it's always in play with this stinky Chiefs uh, uh, Colts line. I have a little. I we're adding a little wrinkle to this. The sixty foot putt. I'm gonna my my sixty <laughs> oh. foot putt this week is that the Chiefs defense or special teams gets a touchdown. Oh, so I, put, I I I don't. Yeah. I Listen, like that. I like to make up new wrinkles that you're not prepared for and you have no counter to, and I just get to own them myself. All right, quickly, let's talk about the Warriors and what we saw on Tuesday night. Um, do we have to? I, that, that was kind of the least interesting thing that happened in, in among all of the NBA debut games. Like, hey, the Spurs are prepared with a game plan to beat a team that's never played a single uh, you know, game that matters together. And they have exactly the weapons that pick and roll that they that the, the Spurs know how to run to um, you know challenge the Warriors. I felt like the, the thing that I greatly regret. You know this. I um, picked all three of the home teams in a three-way parlay just to win, just because I wanted a little action on the, on NBA debut night. And there was an obvious and easy hedge on the Spurs. And before yeah. I walked out the door, I told my colleagues. The only one that's going to mess this up is the Spurs because they're going to come in prepared for this Warriors, uh, you know, faux juggernaut. Well, you almost lost um, the Jazz game for the record, but I, uh, I was, I thought I the, watched the Jazz game. I didn't feel like the Jazz were going to win at any point. I mean, they were winning with four minutes to go. Joe Johnson was having an outer body experience. I think he likes the altitude. I, I felt. Here's, I felt good about the. the here's what Blazers. Go ahead. Here's here's what I noticed with the Warriors, and I, I think people are wrong to say it's one game, it's one game, because there were a couple things that manifested itself themselves in that game that would have me concerned if I was a Warriors fan. One is that we knew Zaza was going to be a downgrade from Bogut. I don't think Zaza is a rotation player on a good team anymore, and I didn't think he was last year in Dallas. I mean, he was... As any Mavericks fan will tell you, he was a train wreck the last four months in Dallas. He had a good first two months, and then he completely fell apart. Going from Bogut to Zaza is a real thing. And if you're going to play him 20 to 25 minutes a game, that is just a sub-subpar player to have in a championship rotation. I thought David West was done last year, too. I, I just didn't, you know, God bless him, had a great career. I did, just didn't think he had really had an impact on the Spurs, especially in the playoffs. I'm not sure he's a rotation player either, and I'm not sure where he plays on that team and how you use him correctly. So to be counting on those two guys, I think they miss Barbosa. I think they miss Spates. Um, you know, obviously the bogut Azili combo, the shot blocking the, against a team like the Spurs where at least you could have some size protecting the rim. Look, their ceiling is higher because of Durant. There's no question. Their Their best possible game is now a better possible game than what they had before, which is really frightening because they won 73 games last year. I think there's way less room for error game to game with the roster they have right now than they had last year. And that's the difference is that on any night, a decent, a decent playoff team has a chance against these guys if they're not shooting that well. And last year, their defense could win some games. Their bench could swing some games, stuff like that. I don't think their bench is going to swing games. And let me tell you another thing. I didn't love what I saw from Iguodala in that game either. And that's somebody that has a lot of miles on him. And I, I just think I don't want to judge that by one game. I want to watch him more. But that's somebody who has a lot of miles on him. And he was the only guy in that roster who could guard Kawhi. 
And if Iguodala is now shifting to a different phase of his career, I think it's dangerous. I, I, so I, again, I don't want to overreact from one game, but those were just things I noticed. I think the Zaza West thing is a real problem and is going to continue to be a problem. And Iguodala, I'm now watching to see how that plays out and whether he's the same guy that he was two years ago. Well, they're going to win so many games because they're just so much better. And I, don't we barely got a taste because of the way that game went of the five-man defensive juggernaut that is going to be Kevin Durant sliding in along with uh, Draymond and Clay and uh, Iggy and Steph. And, and that's, you know, that lineup of deaths, that small lineup defensively really didn't get any minutes because, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they were so far behind so quickly. Um, they made a quick push, and then the Spurs jacked it right back up, and that was really they, – they never threatened the Warriors. But I, you, there's so much yet to be seen. Do you agree that that was a weird game to no-show? Out of all the games, you're, you're going to not show up in that game and give up 129 points? I just didn't like that. Well, the, 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 the no-show begins and ends with one of the things you observed just earlier. Clay missed a boatload of open shots in the yep. first half, and that, that's, that's, a, that's a deciding factor. How many times this season is that going to happen? How many times would you anticipate him missing? I mean, they were open threes, and that's really the formula that, that we all expected to see. So one of those three guys is going to have open threes all game long, Clay, Durant, or, or Steph, and Clay had them and he missed them. I, I, I kind of like, uh, over the balance of the season, the Warriors uh, rebounding from that. I think, I think Clay's going to turn out okay this season. Iggy is in year 13. How about that? Oh wow! I'm surprised to hear that. I would have guessed. I yeah. would have guessed ten if you put it to me. If you said well, guess what year Iggy's in, I would have said ten. He's played 901 games. He, during the first part of his career, played a lot of minutes on those Sixers teams, and he played every game too. So he he played 82 games five of the first six years of his career, 76 the other year. Minutes per game. 32.8, That was the first seven years of his career. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of miles to go early on a perimeter guy, you know, unless it's LeBron, who you almost can't count in any of these conversations for whatever that's reason. He's in his own class. Yeah, that's right. he's in his own class. Good way to put it. Um, but I just feel like uh, if he slips at all, from the guy that he was to this, you know, different phase of his career where he's the wily veteran and maybe athletically is not quite the same guy. That's a pretty interesting wrinkle for the uh, lineup of death because they're going to need him. To yeah, well, look, Durant, uh, Paul, uh, not, Paul George, Kawhi, um, LeBron, all these guys, all these guys throughout the league. That's the guy that has to guard them. I'm already bored talking about the Warriors. Okay, if they if they were going to play the Spurs for another 81 games or the, or the Cavaliers for another 81 games, this might be more interesting. But they're not, so they're going to go out and win an f ton of games. You know, maybe rip off 15 in a row or something. And we're going to look back and say, oh, they figured they used. You know, they they figured out some stuff. The transition's working. My question to you. Yeah. Uh, all of the every single team in the league has played one game that um, so far. Yeah. What was your biggest surprise? Biggest surprise. Yeah. I think LeBron wants to win the MVP. 
that oh. that was uh that was my biggest I don't know if that's a surprise, but that was my one major takeaway from the first week was when he came back in to get the triple double. And I think what LeBron if we've seen when he's really happy with his team and his situation, he puts these little weird personal objectives out there. Remember that year he tried to shoot sixty percent and he yeah. tried to be like super duper efficient? He was like, My team's good. I'm gonna try to do this during the season. My my guess it was kind of awesome to see too, and he was yeah. very he, he did it he did it he did it for like oh like pretty much all through the All Star break, and then he tailed off. But then right. it was like a three month stretch where it was legitimately happening, and he was he kind of mastered field goal percentage as a perimeter guy. I yeah. my 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 gut is telling me that he wants to win one more MVP, and that his team is really good. Love looked great. I mean, I, I to me that was the biggest. I wasn't surprised because I'd been reading about it, but just watching him, he looks like Kevin Love again. He's the right weight. He's the right muscle. Like, he seems confident. He fits in with that team. He doesn't seem like, you know, an abused dog anymore. Uh, But LeBron, going back in and getting that triple-double made me wonder, is he going to go for a 2010-10 this season? Oh, it's so exciting. I'm sitting here with a smile on my face. I figured you would. The thing I liked the best about about that Cavs game was um, how – seamless it all looked they, they they it felt like you know oh i just watched this team in the finals and they were ripping stuff off like this yeah uh the game never felt in doubt even when the knicks were were up i, I appreciate the knicks were competitive for a little while they, they did the best they can yeah that's a team that's going to win you know 38 or 39 games maybe maybe they'll nudge up to, to 40 um but I, I, I enjoyed it. I think this is going to be a very enjoyable year. The thing, I'm knocking loudly on wood for a mostly healthy Cavs season. Every team will have some injuries through the course of the season. But I want to see this Cavs team stay healthy all the way through because they could do really interesting things, I think. Uh, we both like them for the over. I think we I think made the them over. over locks. No, I think right. if those three guys, if none, nothing major happens to those three guys, I think you can pencil that in. That That's... The Cavs are the most complete regular season team just night to night. Yeah, I think they have the biggest room for error. If like, oh, Kyrie's not playing well. Okay, we'll do this. Or, oh, let's get guys. Can the bench bring us back, please, in this quarter? There's a lot of stuff they can do. You know, the other thing I liked, and I wasn't really surprised by it, but I just liked it, was uh, was just how, how the clips looked last night. I watched oh, the second half. It just... I just think it's a good basketball team. And the, and I was having a little uh behind the scenes chat with the Ringer's own Chris Vernon, Verno, yeah, because the homie sent me some wonderful barbecue. Yeah. He sent me some Memphis barbecue. I mean, you know, buddy, bro for life, the, right. the Verno. Nice. But we were I I was uh commenting to him. I I I thought Blake looked incredible. He looked great. I, I the 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 effects of you know really having essentially three quarters of a season off, um, and it, he, he it's clear that he he uh, was focused on his physical conditioning. His bounce was was awesome. I mean, it's like the kind of bounce we saw out of him. I feel like two years ago. You know who I, he else? So you know who else looked great? DeAndre. I think the Olympics really helped DeAndre. There's one play in the fourth quarter when they got a defensive rebound. And he flew down the side and ended up getting flagrant fouled by McCollum. But if you watch that play on uh, on replay on on the NBA app, he's running like a four four forty down the sideline. They they just look the whole team, even Chris, who usually 
November, December plays himself into shape a little bit. I thought he looked like he was in shape. And I think Ray Felton's going to really help them. You know, Ray Felton was good last year in Dallas as as kind of a third guard slash somebody who could come in from time to time and take over a game for five minutes, which is weird to say because well, he's been, had such a weird career. I, but I, I think he's – I thought he was pretty good last year. They've been dying for, uh, you know, a, a backup – uh, point guard, it's it, it, uh, the Austin Rivers experiment. I, I, I know that uh, they're committed to it, and they kick, they reinvested in it. But the rest of us sitting on, on the outside looking in, say, "Goodness gracious!" At some point, you have to address that. Maybe Felton is the answer to that. I want to talk about another LA team, the the other LA team, because that was the most eye opening performance to me yeah. of the first uh, the first set of games. I was so. God damn impressed by the Lakers. Yeah. I have to say, the the uh, the difference between uh, Byron Scott and Luke Walton, I know it's only one game and it's an almost entirely different cast, but what a professional basketball team that was out on the floor against Houston. I agree. And how energetic were they? And it really, uh, I, 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 I know the, the Kobe hate is, you know, a properly alleged crime that you and I commit repeatedly. But it's a joke what Kobe did to that team last year. That wasn't a professional basketball team. If you had, if I had season tickets to the Lakers right right now, I would be writing and asking for a refund. I'd just write the letter because it would make me personally feel good. Could I please have a refund of the garbage money that I threw away on that awful garbage team last year? Because this is a professional basketball team. This is what it looks like when guys hustle for 48 minutes and, and a rotation with 10 guys and sharing the ball and letting right. young players get out and get their legs i was so impressed by that what what about you i knew it was coming because i'd watched them in the preseason and that's so i fell in love with the baby lakers about two weeks ago as a league pass team the the quotes they had after the game were really interesting they're basically saying last year it was kobe fans and they were there to see kobe and we were just kind of there on the on the court i mean that that if you read between the lines that's what they're saying like we were just kind of the accessories to everybody's last year with Kobe and this year Kobe crime accessories to a Kobe crime. (laughs) And this year, uh, we felt like the fans were rooting for us. That's an actual quote. Somebody, I forget who said it, but somebody said that last week. Like we felt like the fans were rooting for us. That's pretty, pretty illuminating quote, but I, I think they, it's a young team that really got energized by the fact that they felt like the fans were on their side and not just waiting to see Kobe jack up a three. I forgot to mention, Well, they deserved it too. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention one other thing that I was just, you asked me what the biggest surprise for me was. I was staggered by Embiid. I just couldn't believe it. They were incredible. They were posting him up and he was facing up and beating Steven Adams off the dribble and getting the rim. And he shot a three and he made it. And he was flying around like a young Hakeem Olajuwon on defense. And I I was just so impressed. What a, what a gem. I'm pounding the wood. I'm, I'm pounding on wood. You can hear me pounding. I, I please let him stay healthy. Oh, that was another team. I so enjoyed watching the Sixers. I can't believe it. They, did you talk about it with Lombardi at all? We talked about it a little bit. Here's the thing, though. If Embiid is going to be able to play 35 minutes a game, and I think he's going to be, you know, eventually, they need to get him a real point guard. Like, enough fucking around. Go get, go you get know, a like guard. Rodriguez? No, go get a guard. Like, like yeah. you can't They're have, available. You can't go through a whole season with yet another uh, poo-poo platter backcourt. Like, go get somebody. Go use 
use Noel or use Okafor or use that. Uh, I think they have that Lakers pick still. Do something. Go get go get somebody who can make an impact. Like I think Eric Bledsoe can be gotten from Phoenix. Go just go get him. Oh, Figure out what oh, it takes. Do I, a three teamer for that. That would happens. be a really nice. That but, accelerates their their uh, their timeline. I mean, I know we're still in the process mode because uh, they still have. Well, don't they have some, another incredible pick up there um, coming up? They have their own pick and they have the Lakers pick. It that, look, it doesn't have to be Eric Bledsoe. It just has to be. They just have to, you know, Okafer's. I, I would say eminently tradable now because I don't see yeah. a world where he plays with Embiid and watching him kind of stroll into the game for six minutes and leave, you know, and, and also somebody that should be an asset on the right team. I would love to have him on, on the Celtics coming off the bench. And oh, dumping he, he, the ball he from looked wonderful minutes. in an almost bullets. Red, white, oh, blue, yeah. come on down here the to Boulet. the capital. So yeah. I hope they get him a point guard, but I love them. All right, we have to go. So our Callaway part three, you took uh, you took the Chargers. We both took the Chiefs, and I took the Patriots. So those are our three picks. And you can listen to House. What's the name of that podcast again? It's the Shack House. All right. What's the next? Is there any big more golf stuff coming up? We're in November now. Well, there's one very important golf thing. I'm coming out to San Diego this week. San Diego, California. Callaway is uh, collaborating with the San Diego Padres on the Lynx at Petco Park. Nine-hole golf course set up in the baseball park. One of the holes is right off of home plate. I think that you're not allowed to hit a ball out of the stadium, but I'm going to try. Believe nice. me. I, I, I mean, how can I stand at home plate and not hit a golf ball over center field? It's the only way I could ever get a home run out of there. Please do that. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to record. There will be a bunch of content coming out of that live and taped. Uh, keep your eyes open. CallawayGolf.com. You can see all the stuff coming out of there. Shackelford and I will be together for that um, fantastic event. So keep your eyes open for that. Great. And speaking of fantastic events, thank you to SeatGeek and Stitcher for sponsoring the Keeping It 1600 event last night. It is exclusively running on Stitcher through Friday, and then it goes on their feed this weekend. So thanks to everybody for that. It worked out great. Thanks to Sling TV, the best way to watch live TV on your turf. Sling Orange Service. Just pay 20 bucks a month. You get ESPN, ESPN2, and more top channels. Add the Sports Extra for $5 extra to watch SEC Network and more football. Start watching for seven days free at sling.com slash Bill Simmons. Restrictions apply. Don't forget about any given Wednesday. Catch up on the Gretzky Burr Wilmore episode on HBO Go or HBO On Demand. 10 p.m. every Wednesday on HBO. Don't forget about all the other podcast feeds on The Ringer. And if you didn't read the column I wrote about LeBron this week on TheRinger.com, it is up there. Go check it out. Joe House, as always, a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.